Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We have learned that, according to the prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, it's not alleged that Donald Trump participated with Michael Cohen in an illegal scheme to defraud Republican primary voters and ultimately all American voters of the knowledge that he had had affairs, Stormy Daniels, a one night stand, the Karen McDougal lasted over a year. This was in the year immediately following the birth of his son, Barron, that he covered these things up. He, he directed Michael Cohen to do so. He gave him the money to do so. And it's not just Michael Cohen saying this, that the prosecutors have independent corroborating evidence. So they didn't come out and say, maybe Trump did this, or it's alleged that Trump did this. They just came out and said Trump did it. That in and of itself, in addition to being a violation of campaign finance law and a felony violation, a go-to-prison violation, that is also fraud. It's fraud on the American people. It's a fraud that is worthy of impeachment. So we learned that. The other thing that we learned from the filings, and this came out of the filings, I believe, from the Mueller investigation, was that the Trump Tower in Moscow that Trump was working on was going to produce, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars, end quote, in revenue. Basically free money, because they were not talking about building the building. That was going to be done by Russian oligarchs that Trump was in business with. They weren't talking about owning the building. That would be done by Russian oligarchs that Trump was doing business with. It wasn't, they weren't talking about paying for the building. That would be done by, I think it's VBE Bank, a Russian bank, which is under U.S. sanctions. Now, the way that Trump's business model works is you build the building, you finance the building, you run the building, Trump puts his name on it, and you pay Trump a fee for putting his name on it. He has no risk. He has no money at, at risk. He has, you know, everything's cool, right? Everything's good. This would be the largest deal that Trump has ever done, apparently. And he hid it from us. He concealed that. He was continuing to negotiate this right up until June or July of 2016 when early word of it leaked and he put it on pause. 
presumably put it on hold until right after the election when he would lose the election and then go ahead and build his Trump Tower in Moscow. But of course, first he had to get the sanctions dropped on VBE Bank, which might have something to do with why the, the GOP platform was changed. So a lot going on here. We memorialized George Herbert Walker Bush. It was pretty much impossible to avoid <laughs> if you were watching television. So we waited until after the funeral and everything to have a conversation about George Bush. But I don't think that this week should go by without visiting his legacy. On the line with us is Lamar Waldron. Lamar Waldron is a JFK historian and author. The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination is his most recent book, Ultimate Sacrifice and Legacy of Secrecy, he wrote in collaboration with me about the Kennedy assassination and the Bobby Kennedy assassination and the, and the Martin Luther King assassination. And Lamar, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you again, Tom. Let's just go through this, Lamar. Why, in your opinion, is talking about the crimes of George Herbert Walker Bush important? Well, talking about his many crimes is super important today. Like you said, we've got nothing but praise for the last week with pretty much in the mainstream media no mention of his many crimes. And even some progressives I know are now looking at Bush Sr. and Bush Jr., that's what I call them, 41 and 43, with rose-colored glasses as if they're, boy, those guys were so much better than Trump. Boy, those were the great old days, which is just... I mean, not true. I mean, Trump is not some uh, aberration. He's the logical outcome of the crimes that began with Bush Sr. and continued with Bush Jr. Yeah, a lot of us referred to the Bush crime family, and we didn't mean it as a joke. Well, and, and, and that's exactly right, you know, because the Trump family is not the first crime family in the White House. The Bush family was and then again was. And if more people don't realize that, you know, get ready for President Ivanka in 2024. You know, I mean, here's just the highlights of what we've been going over today with, with, with Bush Sr. I mean, breaking laws to win elections, even committing treason to win elections, dealing with a special prosecutor, enriching himself, cronies and supporters, misuse of pardons to a avoid prosecution, committing obstruction of justice, needlessly killing thousands of innocent people, uh, civilians, groveling to Saudi leaders and supporting other brutal dictators, creating problems in Central America that still impact America today, and of course, economically screwing working families just to enrich the already wealthy. I mean, that's not just the template for Donald Trump, that's the template that, that he's following that was set by Bush Senior and right. and more important than than even all of that, the story of Bush Senior's crimes has important lessons for all progressives, the Democrats now controlling the House, going forward because they cannot commit the same mistakes that allowed Bush Senior to avoid prosecution, or they're going to wind up letting Donald Trump and his cronies and family avoid prosecution. Yeah, I think these are important lessons for the nation as a whole. So let's just go through it here. George Bush Senior's father, Prescott Bush. I just want to reality check some things with you. Is it true sure. that Prescott Bush, when he was at Brown Brothers Harriman in the 1940s during World War II and then later as United States Senator, is it true that he helped Hitler and the Nazis during World War II? It's totally true, and it's even worse than that. And again, as we go through, we are going to debunk some stuff. I mean, there's, there's an Internet rumor that Prescott Bush, Bush Sr.'s father, helped in the business plot, the coup to try to overthrow Roosevelt in the early 30s. That's actually not true. But, yeah, he's certainly guilty of, in fact, you know, Brown Brothers Harriman was sanctioned. Brown Brothers Harriman, where Prescott Bush worked, 
handled the Nazi assets in America before World War II. That would be a problem for most people, right? Even though we weren't in a declared war with Germany, you know, most people you know, could not stomach that. But Prescott Bush had no problem. So he helped handle that Nazi money, but they kept handling that money after the U.S. declared war. So they were officially sanctioned by the U.S. government. That money and the assets were grabbed up. This was the Roosevelt administration that went after them. Exactly right. And one of the ways they were being compensated wasn't just through direct payments, but they were given stock in certain uh, companies and assets in Germany. One of those assets was called Salesian Steel. Okay, And Salesian Steel, and I'm probably mispronouncing that because I'm not great with German, and it may even be a Polish name, uh, because it was near Auschwitz. And Salesian Steel made their profits from Nazi slave labor. So the Roosevelt administration, they grabbed those assets, they froze them until late in the 40s, I believe 49 or 50. And because, you know, thanks to people like Richard Nixon and uh, McCarthy, then by 1949-50, the big enemy for America was communism, not the fascists we'd sacrificed so much to defeat. So, so Prescott Bush was given back those assets from the Nazi slave labor, and some of that money was used to start the Bush political dynasty because he then became a senator from uh, Connecticut, it was, I believe. So talk about you know, having these dirty origins. So then his son, you know, that's, that's his father growing up in the 50s as this wealthy man. You mean Bush that, Sr.? Yeah, yeah, Bush Sr.'s father yeah, was Prescott, yeah. Bush, yeah. Bush Sr.'s growing up. We credit his service in World War II, but he's getting started in business where his father is a powerful and wealthy U.S. senator, you know, partially with this money from the Nazi slave labor. Was Bush Sr. involved with the Bay of Pigs or with the assassination of JFK? I've, I've read rumors of both. It's huge on the Bay of Pigs, tons of rumors. There were some ships in the Bay of Pigs operations that, you know, one had a name similar to Barbara Bush and all this kind of stuff, but it, the timing does not work out. So Bush was not a big CIA bigwig or in any way significantly involved with the Bay of Pigs. That's just not true. And again, if people look for Gordon Winslow and George Bush and Bay of Pigs, you'll, you'll find where he debunks that. Mm-hmm. The assassination of JFK? No. I mean, he was giving a speech, Bush was, because he was politically minded. I think he was running for office then, uh, for Congress, or getting ready to. In another town far from Dallas, some people say, aha, he was giving a speech in a town far from Dallas, so clearly he was laying an alibi, so therefore he <laughs> must be guilty. Uh, doesn't work. He, he did actually rat out a, uh, a lower-level Republican, a uh, young Republican official in Texas that had said bad things about JFK's. Bush Sr. was guilty of a lot of stuff. The JFK assassination is not one of them. Okay, so Bush Sr. was involved with Nixon and Watergate. Oh, yeah, big time. Well, I mean, he was involved with Nixon big time. So How? Bush, by 1970, he's a uh, member of Congress from Texas, right? right? Nixon, you know, who knew he was guilty of a lot of stuff, but Watergate had not surfaced yet in the fall of 1970. We were still almost two years away from that. But Nixon wanted Bush to run for the Senate instead of defending a seat in Congress. And, and by the way, this is in my book, Watergate, The Hidden History. So to help all of the Senate candidates... Nixon had one of his aides named Herbert Kalmbach set up an illegal 
$3.9 million campaign slush fund called Operation Townhouse because the illicit cash was dispersed out of a back room in a townhouse near DuPont Circle in Washington. Uh, according to veteran AP and Newsweek reporter Robert Perry, after Watergate, this is a quote, Bush acknowledged that his campaign received $106,000 of that illegal money from the townhouse project. So what happens? Does Bush get prosecuted? No. This poor Nixon aide named Herbert Kalmbach served six months in jail for the illegal slush fund. Even and the money went it, to Bush Sr. Yeah, a lot of it went to Bush Sr. But even though Bush was the main beneficiary of this whole Luke operation, he was not even charged. So Why is so, that? Because he was a member of Congress? Well, because he was wealthy well, and again, powerful. Again, so at this point, you know, all the charging is coming through the Justice Department of Richard Nixon, uh -huh. which was one of the most politicized Justice Departments in history, because two of Richard Nixon's attorney generals wound up going to prisons, something our current attorney general should keep in mind if he doesn't want to go to prison. So Bush skates, and in gratitude for giving up his house seat, Nixon makes a Bush Sr. his U.N. ambassador. So Watergate finally unfolds. Bush then winds up becoming the head of the Republican National Committee. And basically, one of Bush's jobs was to try to dig up dirt on people working for the Senate Watergate Committee. And there was a, a former Kennedy a mafia investigator, because, of course, as, as we know now, people didn't know then, the mafia was a huge part, even the central part of Watergate, because Nixon had these long mafia ties. Well, Bush couldn't let that come out, because he was still trying to keep Nixon from getting impeached. So he started leaking this dirt to the media and to other members of the committee about one of the Senate Watergate Committee's investigators, a guy by the name of Carmine Bellino. So that was Bush's job during Watergate, was all of that. It's basically but, dirty tricks. Yeah. On well, behalf of Nixon. And, oh, and speaking of dirty tricks, while he was head of the National Committee, this young Republican operative by the name of Karl Rove got caught doing dirty tricks, what some people might call political crimes, and Bush did a very perfunctory investigation. And even though there was taped evidence against Karl Rove, Bush cleared Karl Rove. And of course, hmm. we all know what Karl Rove went on to do. So Bush was one of those people that just managed to skate completely through Watergate. Revisiting the life and times and occasionally the crimes of George Herbert Walker Bush with historian Lamar Waldron. Lamar Waldron's most recent book, The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination. So, Lamar, how did Bush end up CIA director rather than going to jail after all this stuff? So here's one of the most important lessons that Democrats need to learn from how Bush wound up not only not going to prison, but becoming CIA director. As many people underestimate how many people were prosecuted as a result of Watergate. There were actually 70 people that were indicted or who pled guilty. Just a huge number, and you won't find that in any... American high school history book, unfortunately. But there were more. There were many more. I mean, as we've seen with the Operation Townhouse alone, Bush... I mean, many more crimes, not many more prosecutions. Many more people and many I more see. crimes. Right. Not many more prosecutions. So, but there were people that should have been prosecuted. What happened was this. Some Republican Party elders basically went to the Democratic leaders of the Senate. The Democrats had both the Senate and the House then. And they said, look, you know, if you prosecute everybody that could be prosecuted, 
you're going to ruin the Republican Party, you're going to ruin the two-party systems. So we cry uncle. So for the more minor crimes, and compared to a lot of the crimes, yeah, the slush fund wasn't that big, but still, he should have been prosecuted. He should have gone to prison like Herbert Kalmbach did, the guy who was giving him the money you know, out of the back room of the townhouse. But the Democrats, in just trying to be nice, and by the way, the Republicans said, look, we'll make sure that none of these people that you let skate, like Bush, you're not going to hear from them. They'll go into private business. You won't have to worry about them. And so the Democrats were fine. Well, so the Democrats knew that George Herbert Walker Bush had committed this crime. The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the guy who gave him the money went to prison. Yeah. The Democrats, they were trying to be nice. And, of course, we know what happens when you try to be nice to a snake. It will bite you. So not only did Bush not slink away quietly into the night, you know, he'd be running for president soon. But before that, Gerald Ford, who's also dealing with his top aides like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, appoints Bush Sr. to be the CIA director. Now, this is a critical time as CIA director because, finally, once Watergate was behind us, the Senate and the House are both now focusing on the CIA plots to assassinate foreign leaders and to spy on Americans and to do all sorts of dirty tricks, to test LSD on Americans, just a whole raft of stuff, right? And so Bush's job as CIA director when Gerald Ford appointed him, was basically to obstruct justice, protect Gerald Ford, who was, of course, a member of the Warren Commission. And some of the very people the CIA had hired to assassinate Castro without bothering to tell then-President Kennedy in the early 60s, several of those people were involved in JFK's assassination. So that couldn't come out, or that wouldn't make former Warren Commissioner Gerald Ford look very good. He wound up first appointed as vice president, then taking over when Nixon resigned. So he wanted to run for a full four-year term on his own. So basically, Bush's job was to obstruct justice. He only did that. He protected at least a couple of murderers, and, and they hindered the investigation of the murder of a Senate witness. Wow. We'll continue this in just a moment. We're talking with uh, historian Lamar Walter. With the holidays coming up fast, you're probably wondering what to get that special man in your life, right? Socks? Another wallet? How about something he'll really enjoy? A thoughtful and practical gift from Harry's that he's sure to love all year long. Harry's makes lasting quality products at a super reasonable price. German engineered blades for as low as two bucks a piece. As a special offer for my listeners, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash tomthom. Plus, you'll get free shipping. This offer is for new and returning customers and is only available for the holidays. Each Harry's shaving set comes with an ergonomic weighted handle with optional engraving, German-engineered five-blade cartridges for a close, comfortable shave, Harry's incredible rich foaming shave gel, a travel cover to protect your blades, and a handsome holiday gift box. Or treat yourself. Redeem Harry's trial offer to experience their incredible shave. Get your holiday shopping done early. Free shipping ends on December 12th, so act now. Go to harrys.com slash tom, T-H-O-M, to get $5 off a shave set while supplies last. That's harrys.com slash tom. So just to recap, he was involved in this criminal activity with the Republican National Committee, basically a slush fund, a, a, a bribery fund or a cash payoff fund, hundreds of thousands of dollars. The guy who handed the money to George Bush Sr. went to prison, but Bush Sr. didn't. Instead, he got bumped up to CIA director, where his job was to protect basically a number of the people who had been involved with the Nixon crimes and Jerry and, and, Ford and, and, as well. Several of the key people involved in Watergate, Howard Hunt, Bernard Barker, Frank Sturgis, all went to prison. They had all been part of the CIA mafia plots to try to kill Fidel in the early 60s. 
that had then been used by some of those same mobsters as cover for their murder of JFK's. There was a lot to protect, and he did. But get this, in the early 70s, Chile elected a socialist president that Nixon illegally deposed, you know, mm. had killed using CIA operatives, as well as supporting people in Chile. I don't want to imply it was like a CIA invasion. It wasn't like Panama, but the CIA was there on the ground helping murder Allende in Chile. But Allende's socialist ambassador to the United States, Orlando, and I'll mispronounce this name, Leterrier, I think is how mm. the best way to say it, but I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling it. So he was living in Washington trying to rally support to, to take back his country that had been overthrown by this U.S.-backed coup that had installed these brutal dictators in Chile. So some people in the CIA did not like that. So a couple of CIA assets blew up with a car bomb, not only the former Chilean ambassador, but also an American citizen right in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And Bush Sr. immediately went into cover-up mode and basically protected these people. As CIA director. As CIA director. And get this, so there were several Senate witnesses, including some of the people that helped to kill JFK, people like Sam Giancana, Jimmy Hoffa, and a guy named Johnny Roselli, who were murdered. And, and Roselli had testified several times in private to the church committee investigating the same mafia plots. And so his body shows up in a 55-gallon oil drum, his body dismembered shortly after he had met with a Florida godfather, Santo Traficanti, who employed two of the Watergate burglars who had been working for him during Watergate. So that was obviously a mess of connections there. So basically, Bush just kind of ordered the CIA not to give the Miami police the information they needed to try to solve this murder of Johnny Roselli. So he was a terrible CIA director, committed, you know, crimes of... Well, from the point of view of Gerald Ford, he was a brilliant CIA director. Well, to, to Ford, right. And Jimmy Carter is always fond of saying, of course, Bush went to him and said, look, once Carter won, you should keep me on as CIA director. And Carter is very proud that he did not do that. So, mm. so for a very brief time, Bush went back to private business. But, you know, the business he went back into is almost beyond belief. And what's that? Well, because Prescott Bush had died in the early 70s and was a wealthy man to start with. He became more wealthy as a senator, as often happens. And of course, he still had that Nazi money. And so, so we're going to have to pause this right here. A moment of suspense. <laughs> Lamar Waldron, historian and author Lamar Waldron, helping us unwind the legacy of George Herbert Walker Bush. This is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Lamar, were you short of finishing a thought there? Now we're in the late 70s. Okay, Bush is in the process of leaving his CIA director post. He's going to be in private business for a couple of years. But two big things are going to start to enter the story of George Bush Sr., as I call him, and that is the Middle East and Latin America. They're going to come to dominate the rest of his criminal life. So on his way out the door as CIA director, in the fall of 1976, there is one more cover-up he does. Some CIA assets blew up a Cubana airliner, killing all 73 people on board. The CIA says they were former CIA assets. A lot of evidence they were current CIA assets. But the bottom line is they had to be protected. One of them, who was allegedly involved, even though he denies it, but there's a lot of evidence that other people take the other side, is a guy by the name of Louis Posada. 
and these guys were like CIA-backed Cuban exiles from the early 60s, basically. Posada had allegedly helped to try to assassinate Castro for Richard Nixon six months before Watergate. So basically the CIA, like I say, Bush is way out the door. He's occupied with Latin America, and the CIA is, is basically helping these CIA assets, you know, try to avoid prosecution for blowing up this Cubana airliner and killing all 73 people. So Latin America is going to figure in again very soon with, with Bush. The other thing he does, so Bush finally gets his inheritance from his father, including, you know, what's left of the Nazi money from World War II, right, and Hitler. And so he goes into business with a family in the Middle East. You know, guess what family Bush goes into business with in the Middle East? Uh, Bin Laden's? Exactly right. The Bin Laden's. Now, Lamar, just uh, reality check something for me. Uh, I have heard that on the day that John Hinckley Jr. tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan, that his father, John Hinckley Sr., was having lunch with George Bush Sr. And on the day of 9-11, George Bush Sr. was hanging out with Bin Laden's brother. Are those two things true? I believe they are. I believe That's so weird. Are. I mean, you know. But, but again, for the 9-11, yeah, believe me, Bush will figure in again as far as another thing that helps 9-11 to occur. But, but yeah, so, so that relationship, Bush Sr. is pursuing the morning of 9-11, dining with one of Bin Laden's brothers. That begins in the late 70s. Okay, so with that Nazi money, I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. But, of course, Bush didn't want to be a businessman. He wanted to be president. So he runs for the nomination. He loses the nomination to Reagan, who is much more overt racist appeal, though Reagan's racist appeal wasn't overt. It was covert. Well, Bush opposed when he ran for the Senate from Texas before he got in as a congressman. He opposed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. But he did eventually come around on that. You're right. Whereas Reagan used carefully coded words in giving that speech down in Mississippi in the town where the three civil rights workers were killed and calling for states' rights. So basically, Reagan did a better job getting that racist vote, which, as Donald Trump learned, that can get you the Republican nomination. But Reagan, smart politician, tapped Bush as his vice president. But then we have a problem. We have these hostages who were taken at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, okay? And Jimmy Carter is trying to get those hostages out. And just, just like in 1968, when President Johnson was trying to broker a last-minute peace deal to end the war in Vietnam years before it really ended, Nixon torpedoed that. So Jimmy Carter is trying to cut a deal for those hostages. People don't remember. People remember, or they say, that Reagan won in a landslide. Jimmy Carter was running against two people, not one. There was a guy by the name of John Anderson in the campaign as well. But even with all that, Two months before the election, in 1980, Jimmy Carter was within the margin of error of Ronald Reagan. If Jimmy Carter had been able to get those hostages out, and you can imagine that wave of euphoria that we would see. He would have won the election. He, yeah. he definitely could have won the election. So that could not be allowed to happen. Now, Reagan doesn't have a lot of any CIA experience. His vice presidential nominee did. His running mate, George Bush, did. He was the former CIA director. Jimmy Carter's CIA director, Stansfield Turner, had kind of cleaned house of a lot of the bad apples and stuff. And a lot of those bad apples, you know, still had their CIA contacts and slush funds. And so basically, uh, as was reported on the front page of newspapers in Tehran at least twice that fall, the Republicans, basically Bush and Reagan, were cutting a back deal 
with the Ayatollah to say, hey, if you won't release the hostages before the election, we'll cut you a better deal after the election. Right. Iranian President Bonnie Sadr uh, wrote an op-ed about this. He's now living in the United States, wrote an op-ed about this for the Christian Science Monitor. You can still find it online. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's no big secret, except to the American news networks. Right. And, of course, they just didn't want to report this. This was somewhat reported in Europe at the time, because they had more correspondence in Iran. So bottom line is Bush apparently played a pretty key role in the October surprise, basically committing treason, if not, you know, technically legal treason, then certainly you know, dictionary definition of treason, if not legal definition, because we weren't, apparently in America, treason, you have to have a declared war to officially be treason. But yeah, right. most people would call what Bush did treason. And of course, like Nixon in 68, it worked. Yeah. So Bush Sr. then is in the White House as the vice president. Right. Uh, how was Bush Sr. involved in Iran-Contra? We, we just touched on that a moment ago. Right. The Latin American ties form when Bush is helping to cover up, basically having the CIA protect the killers of those Cubans. And there were lots of other Cubans that should have testified back in the mid-'70s. They were protected. So you have this revolution going on down in Nicaragua, and you have a new government there that the U.S., Reagan, Bush, they don't like, so they want to fund CIA-backed mercenaries to overthrow the The so-called Contras. Right. These mercenaries called the Contras, they need money. Congress blocked that money. Where is it going to come from? Well, from Bush Sr.'s old buddies in Iran who wanted weapons and stuff as part of that deal, and there were other hostages been taken in Lebanon due to, to a, a horrible bit of foreign policy there. So basically, they wind up selling, uh, since Congress won't fund the Contras, in in Central America, they basically, who could also be called death squads, basically they sell the arms to Iran and they use those profits to fund these death squads, these murder squads in Central America. And, you know, Reagan, after the shooting and everything that he survived, he's got early Alzheimer's, he's saying things that barely get reported here, but is covered well over, you know, in the foreign press. He's not even all there some of the times. So, all the evidence pretty much shows the guy at the top of the pyramid, people like Oliver North and those guys, was George Bush Sr., the vice president. You know, Dick right. Cheney, under Bush Jr., was not the first vice president to basically run the country. To some degree, that was Bush Sr. under Reagan. So all these horrible things happen. The Democrats make several key mistakes, though. They don't really have an investigation of the October surprise. This guy named Lee Hamilton, this this centrist Democrat who's running the committee looking, he lets Bush slide on October surprise because, you know, Bush couldn't have been at some key meeting, but he won't say where he was, was he with a mistress, who knows. And then they do things like letting Oliver North, who never wore a uniform when he was working on Iran-Contra, wear his uniform and basically use the testimony as a platform And so the Democrats really mishandle that. There is a special prosecutor. Bush tries really, really hard to block that special prosecutor getting important information. Bush, after committing more election crimes to become elected president, people close to Bush, like Casper Weinberger, the former Secretary of Defense, they're not only getting prosecuted, they're getting convicted. They're facing prison time. And the goal is to get Bush. But Bush does something to make sure he doesn't get prosecuted. Remarkable. How was Bush Sr. involved in Reagan's schemes to destroy unions and cut taxes on rich people like himself? 
by the early 80s, Reagan's making comments in front of news people about how he was in the army in World War II and helped to liberate the concentration camps and stuff that just leave people like the German. He's telling us like the chancellor of Germany, they're just like slack jawed because they know that's a lie. So, you know, when Reagan's in front of the cameras for a press conference, I mean, he can appear alert and everything like that. When he's not, somebody on CNN said during Reagan's funeral, they would never let Reagan be along with press people because they'd know what he would say. So mm. Bush Sr. is the guy who's driving a lot of the stuff for these big tax giveaways to the wealthy, dismantling. You, you remember when, when every community in America had a savings and loan, right? Yep. Now it's only through that movie, Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the Jimmy Stewart has the savings and loan. You wouldn't go to some faceless national bank to get your mortgage. You would go to your neighborhood banker, and, and he knew you, and, and you had your money in his savings account, and he, he paid you a certain rate of interest, and for a couple of percent more, he'd loan you the money for your house. It was a great system. The Republicans in Bush basically just, they removed all the controls. They basically just raped that whole system you know, almost put the country into recession, and basically they all enriched themselves. There was, there was a really good reporter for the Wall Street Journal by the name of Pete Bruton, I believe, wrote a whole book called Bush and Wall Street that just detailed how Bush and his cronies and families made all this money out of basically screwing the middle class. And so, you know, that's Bush's legacy. But to go back to Iran-Contra, Bush should have been prosecuted for Iran-Contra. Can you prosecute a sitting president? You can sure prosecute a president when they leave office. So after Bush loses the election to Clinton, but before he leaves office, he pardons six of the most important Iran-Contra figures, including the guy he was really close to, this, his Secretary of Defense, Casper Weinberger. But the Democrats... And Weinberger was the one who could have spilled the beans on Bush's. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. A lot of these guys could, Weinberger especially. But the Democrats, instead of holding hearings into those pardons, they don't. Mm. And so then soon they will lose control of Congress to Newt Gingrich and the contract on America. So, again, Bush just skates for that. But he does two last things. One is in the late 90s, so he's back as private citizen ex-president, okay? He goes to Saudi Arabia as part of a big business deal, also including another former CIA director's daughter. And this article was, by the way, written by a great reporter by the name of Dan Moldea, the country's top Hoffa expert. Hmm. So he wrote this great article in the late 90s. So Bush goes over to Saudi Arabia, literally sits lower you know, than the dictator of Saudi Arabia, kind of groveling at his feet for this business deal. Out of that whole trip and attempt to do all this business comes all these special conditions for Saudis traveling to America, where they don't have to do the same kind of visa and passport, all the same stuff that most people in the Middle East have to do. And then we know, of course, how that was then taken advantage of. I mean, this, I'm not saying Bush did that intentionally right. to leave 9-11, but that was one of the sides. But that was, that was what the hijackers, the 9-11 hijackers used to get into our country. Exactly. Remarkable. Remarkable. Lamar Wald, historian and author Lamar Waldron on the legacy of George Herbert Walker Bush. You spend every day in your office chair. That's over 2,000 hours a year. So if you're spending all that time in the wrong chair, is it any wonder why you're sore and tired at the end of the day? Ditch that no-name, one-size-fits-all superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. When you feel the X chair difference, you'll understand. My X chair is the most stylish chair I've ever owned. 
Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. Switching to the X chair, I'm more productive and have more energy. I love my X chair and you will too. X chair is now on sale for the holidays, so buy one for yourself and one for someone you love. X chair is now on sale for $100 off. So call 844-4X-CHAIR or go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com now to save 100 bucks. And here's a special deal just for my listeners. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and they'll even throw in a free footrest. Go to xchairtom or call 844-4X-CHAIR and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, 844-4X-CHAIR. The thing that has always struck me as one of the most consequential things that George Bush did, uh, Bush Sr., was invade Iraq on false pretenses, the whole, you know, babies in the hospital and all this kind of stuff, incubators. And I don't think a lot of people realize uh, Osama bin Laden told the New York Times in 98 that he was going to attack the United States if we didn't do two things. Number one, raise the price of oil because we were stealing the natural resources of his homeland. And number two, shut down the Air Force Base, the U.S. Air Force Base in Saudi Arabia that was built by George Bush when he was president to stage the Iraq war because, God forbid, uh, American soldiers, men were drinking alcohol and women were showing their elbows and driving cars. Can you speak to that? I, I'm so glad you mentioned the first Iraq war because a couple of things. Number one, most people, not a lot, actually remember there was an Iraq war. But, but you know, before that, there was the dry run in Panama. When several aid organizations have determined Bush basically committed war crimes, you know, that was not a bloodless coup. I mean, at least, some people say thousands, but even Amnesty International say, okay, at least three. Are you talking about Bush taking out Nor Noriega? Exactly right. The, and the, and the that was, that he was that because, up. right, was that because Noriega knew where the bodies were buried, uh, f financially anyway? Panama is a big dark money finance center. Oh, well, now we know with the Panama Papers, a huge dark money thing. Yeah. These rich guys like Bush don't like to pay taxes. Noriega, we've been giving a wink and a nod to his drug trafficking since the time when Bush was CIA director. Right. So, yeah, so 300 civilians needlessly died in Panama due to George Bush, definite war crime. And that was his dry run. For the Iraq war, you know, basically his ambassador tells Saddam, yeah, we don't care what you do with, with this little country, Kuwait. Right, April Gillespie. I'm like, okay, I'll go for it. Even then, Bush is toadying to the Saudis. They're the people who ordered him not to depose Saddam because they were worried about Iran getting too much influence. So we go to all this trouble to invade and, and conquer most of the country, but Bush is just, he's obeying the orders of that Saudi dictator not to depose Saddam, which also sets up that next Iraq war, which comes about because Bush Sr.'s last great way that he hurt America and at least oversaw the committing of crimes, it's not did them himself, was the role that he and his close advisors played in helping his son, Bush Jr., steal the presidential election in 2000. Now, what was that role? Well, first off, he helped him get the nomination because Bush Sr. had the ties to the Sun Young Move organization. And if you remember, John McCain... You're talking to the guy who said he was the reincarnation of Jesus. Bingo. Yeah. And so he was, he was a super right wing. And so Bush and, had... And a, and a wealthy munitions manufacturer from South Korea. Right, right. And so let's go to South Carolina, 
Bush against McCain for the nomination. McCain's doing better than anybody expected. It looks like McCain is going to take South Carolina. If he does, Bush Jr. may not even get the nomination. And it is to a lot of dirty tricks Bush had had people used before, like the racial stuff. Like the Willie Horton stuff. The Moonies are unleashed on South Carolina to spread all these horrible negative rumors about John McCain and Bush Jr. miraculously gets that. Is that the main rumor that McCain had an out-of-wedlock black child? Pictures that they were showing of the McCain family included this Pakistani girl or, or, or Bangladeshi girl that they had adopted? Exactly, exactly yeah. right. Because in South Carolina, among white conservative Christian white Republican voters, that was anathema. So yeah. he helped him get the nomination. You know, Bush's brother helped to, in Florida, the Florida governor, helped to purge. One of the biggest reasons uh, was, and this is why voter suppression works, why the Republicans keep using it, they had purged, I want to say it's between twenty and 40,000 mostly black people from the voter roll. Yeah, I've heard numbers as high as 90,000. The ACLU well, right lawsuit, there. I thought, said 60,000, but whatever, you know. And, and, yeah, and there that was, was a settlement, and, and so, so and, and, but then even more than that, remember when there was what's now called, proudly called by Republicans, the Brooks Brothers riot to mm. try to keep votes from being counted down in South Florida? Right. And these were congressional aides on the congressional payroll using, this comes full circle back to Bush Sr.'s father, Prescott Bush and that Nazi money. So now they're using classic Nazi tactics of basically breaking the law, because you, you can't have paid congressional aides go bully people not to count votes. That's illegal. That's against the law. But Bush Sr.'s advisors helping his little junior. So they, find, get, they financed that. Exactly right. Well, they didn't just find it. They organized it. These guys were being paid. These guys were on the congressional And then, And then at the same time down there, you had John Roberts and Kavanaugh both helping prep the legal team exactly. for the arguments before the Supreme Court. Exactly. Bush Sr.'s advisors, they, they were, you know, because Bush Jr. was Bush Jr., right? right? So he'd been a governor of Texas. Yeah, so it was Bush Sr.'s, a lot of his legal teams and people loyal to him were the ones helping to ram this through. And, of course, the Supreme Court, the conservatives on the Supreme Court, they go against, you know, they, they were always for states' rights and everything, except now when it would get right. a Republican elected, and suddenly, no, 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 states' rights, we, we've never heard of that. We have to stop the counting of the votes in Florida. So that's the final legacy of Bush Sr. as helping little Jr. become president, which brings us another horrible Iraq war, which brings us the unpreparedness for 9-11, and brings us the Republican crash of 2006 that the country is still trying to recover from, working people, and now there's been another Bush-style big tax giveaway to the wealthy, it distorts the whole real estate, rental market, just horribly when you give all this money to the wealthiest people. But that's the legacy of George Bush Sr. is laying the groundwork for the newest crime family, but by no means the first crime family, the Trump crime family. So Bush's war in Iraq set up the, the eventual war in Iraq, but it also set up 9-11, right? Because the Saudis could come in and out of the United States so easily, I think it was at least three of the Saudi hijackers the morning were pulled aside. I believe it was up in Boston. But then, because they were Saudis, even though they were suspicious, they were allowed to get back. Because Bush Sr., when he was a private businessman, was doing business with it, the it, bin it Laden helped. family, and, and he got this special deal written into American law that Saudis could come and, come and go. Right. He was one of the people pushing for that special thing is, you know, to, to curry favor with the Saudis. So, so the big lesson for Democrats, don't let the Trump crime family get away with anything. 
prosecute everybody you can possibly prosecute or else we'll be looking at President Ivanka in 2024. There you go. Or Tiffany or, or uh, exactly. Uday <laughs> Lamar Waldron, uh, his latest book, The Hidden History of the JFK Assassination. Thank you, Lamar. Thank you so much, Don. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's in? Ask John, whose blink camera alerted him a burglar's trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, video clips from Blink were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling over the holidays, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check on your pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great holiday gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your holiday package deliveries. Visit BlinkProtect.com holiday. That's BlinkProtect.com holiday. Visit BlinkProtect.com holiday. Once again, BlinkProtect.com holiday. Blink is an Amazon company. Joy in Hornbrook, California. Hey, Joy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to give you kudos for not talking about Bush before he was buried. Democracy Now! I know they were doing it just to be on record with this stuff, but they did a whole hour on what wasn't good about his presidency. And a lot of it was very public stuff. It wasn't like kind of the things that Lamar was talking about. And it really hit me wrong, and it got me thinking that, you know, we have to be very careful now if we want to take this country back and make real change, how we speak of everyone, and otherwise we just end up sounding like the left-leaning versions of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Donald Trump, Newt Gingrich. And well, I, th I think what we're doing is fact-based, at least, Joy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> My thought on this is that if we don't, to paraphrase George Santayana, if we don't remember history, we are doomed to repeat it. And frankly, I think we are repeating it right now. And the points that Lamar kept making about, you know, when George Bush committed this crime and, you know, the Democrats knew about it and they chose not to prosecute it. You know, that that came up three times, as I recall, his involvement with Iran-Contra, his involvement with keeping the hostages so that Jimmy Carter would lose the election, his involvement with Saudi Arabia that set up 9-11, his involvement with the bin Laden family. And the Democrats let Bush senior skate every time. And Lamar's final warning was, you know, when it comes time to prosecute Trump, don't like with the Democrats. I mean, there was 70 people prosecuted during the Nixon impeachment. There was another hundred or so who could easily have been prosecuted. And George Bush was among them or, or many of the people around him, too. Don't let that stuff slide. Back to you. Joe. Right. I think I very much appreciated what Lamar said. And one of the most important things, as you just said, is he didn't do it in a vacuum. Right. And therefore, what we need to do, especially with the millennials, because I think they are tuned in to what's right. And to me, if you don't do due process, the rule of law, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as far as I'm concerned, that's un-American. Yep. And I've made that point before. Superman stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Yep. And I think as long as we are 
fact-based, evidence-shown, presenting all sides, as good historians do, and sometimes it takes a while, I think we can keep the millennials and help to really bring about real change that might actually save the planet. Yeah, I agree. I have a neighbor who just figures he's a progressive, but he's just given up. He feels we're all going to be extinct by 2100. Yeah, we can't give up. Now, I wanted to get these things on the record. Joy, thank you so much. And thank you also for acknowledging that we waited until after he was buried to bring this stuff up. I felt uncomfortable doing it before today, frankly. But Joy, thank you. Your comments are appreciated. Patrick in Seaside, California. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Well, wanting to talk about this all week, not just the farce of Bush 41's funeral, but I mean, in juxtaposition. Well, the funeral wasn't a farce. I mean, the funeral wasn't a farce. But, you know, when you're eulogizing somebody, you don't get up there and recount their crimes. The problem wasn't the funeral and the people doing the the eulogies. It was the people in the media, you know, who were just putting on rose-colored glasses. Exactly. But, I mean, well, it was a farce to me, I'm saying from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it it was basically a week-long slobber fest over basically a war criminal. And no mention of the disappearance and then later the body found of the, the great Ray Taliaferro, who, you know, next to you, Tom, and Amy Goodman, and the great Noam Chomsky, you know, he was one of my all-time heroes. I just feel like the whole week was watching our history being erased yeah. and rewritten before our very eyes. Well, that's why I, I took an entire hour on this program to say, let's get this on the record. Here's the actual history of George Herbert Walker Bush's political career. Well, we appreciate that, and I understand your rationale for waiting until today. I loved Democracy Now!, the first day out of the gun, you know. Yeah. They go to a break with Black Sabbath's War Pigs. I mean, you know, there'll be some, maybe, if you allow me a minute or so here, some dripping sarcasm, and, and, you know, some of my points might be facetious, but, I mean, how do we know? Are we underestimating to our peril the true scope of the Bush crime family's power and influence? I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe yes, we are. the proverbial Kaiser Soze of our day, except he didn't kill his family to scare off the proverbial Hungarians. You don't even need to come up with analogies to demonstrate the power that the Bush crime families had over the years. And as Lamar kept pointing out, the Bush crime family set up the Trump crime family. And that was Lamar's final warning is, if we don't learn from the experience of Bush Sr., and how he got let off the hook repeatedly for high crimes and misdemeanors. That set up his funding the Brooks Brothers riot and his working with his son Jeb to commit crimes in Florida to get his brother George elected president, or not even elected. Ultimately, they had to go to the Supreme Court and get him appointed. And that if we don't remember those things, then, you know, get ready for President Tiffany or Uday or Kuse, you know, Eric or Don Jr. I'm down with that. I completely agree with that. Thanks a lot for the call. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's up? I like Noam Chomsky. Yeah, it's his 90th birthday. God bless him. I hope he lives to be 200. Uh, he was the one that explained to me how they did Noriega in Panama. Mm-hmm. They went in with the B-1B bomber. That's the first time they ever admitted they had it. Mm-hmm. The stealth bomber, yeah. And this I was during George Herbert Walker Bush's presidency. He had to take out yeah. Noriega because Noriega was threatening to expose the crimes of the very wealthy in the United States. So they'd been laundering their money in Panama. And that's why Noriega was brought to the United States rather than put in a Panamanian prison. And it's why he was essentially kept in solitary confinement until he died. He was never allowed to speak to the press. No, I know that. He only spoke to him once, and after that, they shut him down. Yep. 
you see, he was the one that brought in the B-1B bomber against an Air Force that basically had Piper Cubs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was overkill. Yeah. He was laundering the drug money. Noriega was, and yeah. It, I know. And that really kicked off. The and he had been laundering the drug money, it, it appears. I, now, I don't have evidence of this, and this would be a useful thing, a question to ask Lamar, because he's so up to his eyeballs in this stuff. But my recollection is that the allegation that was being made, uh, not by Bush when he was you know, arresting and imprisoning Noriega, but by the people who were familiar with the issue, was that the Iran-Contra money, where George Herbert Walker Bush had cut this deal with the Iranians, not only to hold the hostages before the election, but after the election to continue selling them weapons. I mean, that was part of the payoff for holding the hostages. Uh, selling them weapons, that money had to go someplace. It couldn't come into the United States because it was against the law to sell weapons to Iran, and it was against the law to do business with Iran. They were under sanctions. And so that money was being run through Panamanian banks, and then coming out of those Panamanian banks was going to pay for the weapons that were being smuggled into the death squads in Central America that we called the Contras, which set up the disaster that we've got right now on our southern border, where you have you know three countries melting down because George Herbert Walker Bush, as vice president, was in charge, and then continued as he was president of this program of uh, smuggling these weapons down to Central America. And that's why he pardoned Casper Weinberger when he left the White House, because Casper Weinberger was up to his eyeballs in this as Reagan's, uh, what was he, defense secretary, as I recall? I think so. Yeah. But they were, Noriega was taking one quarter out of every dollar that he laundered. Huh. And he laundered billions. Yeah, no doubt and about it. And that really ticked off the banks in the U.S. because they were doing the same thing. When they were laundering money, they would take one quarter out of every dollar they laundered. Yeah. And, I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about that, but I'm guessing that there was a very, very profitable scheme going on. Thank you. Your comments are appreciated. Pam in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Pam. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Love the show. I think what Lamar is pointing out is that we have to hold those in power to a higher standard or else, you know, the whole society collapses. Well, it's not even a higher standard, Pam. I mean, some of the crimes that George Bush committed, if they had been committed by my CPA, he'd be in prison. Right. Exactly. You know, there's a woman in Texas right now serving five years for accidentally voting, and here's Flynn being recommended no jail time, and he's done horrendous things. So right. that's just outrageous. But that's not really what I called about. What I called about is our wealth gap in this country and how our tax system is being used, and Lamar touched on this too, to transfer wealth to the wealthy. Back when Obama was running and he accepted the Democratic nomination, I was lucky enough to go to his acceptance speech at Mile High. And one of the only line, in fact, I remember that he said was bring back the dignity of work. And I think mm. that's something we really need to do. Right now, Wall Street literally creates money out of nothing. And you're seen as an idiot for working a regular nine to five job. And we show that by not paying livable wages, not providing any kind of decent benefits and overtaxing us. You know so who's been beating that drum, Pam, is Sherrod Brown. Yes, I recently heard him say that. Yeah. And so I was really excited that Obama had said that, and then nothing's happened from that. So here's how I think that we can bring back the dignity of work, and I hope Sherrod Brown is listening. <laughs> um, so Lincoln said, labor is superior to capital because labor begets capital. You can't make anything create capital. Now, granted, right now we're creating phony money on Wall Street through hedge funds and stuff, but that's not a real economy. But you really need labor to create capital. Capital. One of Gandhi's seven sins was wealth without work. 
and arguably he could have had an eighth in there work without wealth or at least a decent standard of living. So our tax system has, as we all know, and you've mentioned many times, has become a way to shift wealth to the wealthy. So how do we resolve that? Well, we use our taxes, right, to encourage or discourage various behavior. So let's not tax labor because we want to encourage that behavior. And arguably, the working people are already overtaxed through state, local, property, every service you have, every sales you do, check your utility bills, how many taxes come out of that, how about your phone bill, and maybe you can answer this. Like, I don't know if the Scandinavian countries have that many taxes. I would argue we are probably the highest tax people on the planet no, because we're actually, of the hidden tax. Pam, Pam. And in addition to that, we had hidden taxes because we pay for our own health care, our own education, and infrastructure. I know here in Colorado and around the country, we're having more toll roads, lack of public transportation. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I can, but we're hitting the break. Okay, Thank sorry. you very much. And by the way, the uh, taxes is a percentage of GDP in the United States, and that does include things like sales taxes. A little over 20%, I think it's 21 or 22%. The European average is in the mid-30s, and uh, France is in the 40s, in the low 40% area. Most of Scandinavia is in the low 40s, just FYI. Pam, thanks a lot for the call. Our book today is Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World by Anand Giridharadas. This is from the prologue. All around us in America is the clank, clank, clank of the new in our companies and economy, our neighborhoods and schools, our technologies and social fabric. But these novelties have failed to translate into broadly shared progress and the betterment of our overall civilization. American scientists make the most important discoveries in medicine and genetics and publish more biomedical research than those of any other country, but the average American's health remains worse and slower improving than that appears in other rich countries, and in certain years, life expectancy actually declines. American inventors create astonishing new ways to learn, thanks to the power of video and the Internet, many of them free of charge, but the average 12th grader tests more poorly in reading today than in 1992. The country has had a culinary renaissance, as one publication put it, one farmer's market and Whole Foods at a time, but it has failed to improve the nutrition of most people, with the incidence of obesity and related conditions rising over time. The tools for becoming an entrepreneur appear to be more accessible than ever for the student who learns coding online or the Uber driver, but the share of young people who own a business has fallen by two-thirds since the 1980s. America has birthed the wildly successful online book superstore called Amazon, and another com company, Google, has scanned more than 25 million books for public use, but illiteracy has remained stubbornly in place, and the fraction of Americans who read at least one work of literature a year has dropped by almost a quarter in recent decades. The government has more data at its disposal and more ways of talking and listening to citizens, but only one quarter as many people find it trustworthy as in the tempestuous 1960s. A successful society is a progress machine. It takes in the raw material innovation and produces broad human advancement. America's machine is broken. When the fruits of change have fallen on the United States in recent decades, the very fortunate have basketed almost all of them. For instance, the average pre-tax income of the top tenth of Americans has doubled since 1980. That of the top 1% has more than tripled. And that of the top 0.001% has risen more than sevenfold 
even as the average pre-tax income of the bottom half of Americans has stayed almost precisely the same. These familiar figures amount to three and a half decades worth of wondrous head-spinning change with zero impact on the average pay of 117 million Americans. Meanwhile, the opportunity to get ahead has been transformed from a shared reality to a prerequisite of already being ahead. Among Americans born in 1940, those raised at the top of the middle class and the bottom of the lower middle class shared a roughly 90% chance of realizing the so-called American dream of ending up better off than their parents. Among Americans born in 1984 and maturing into adulthood today, the new reality is split screen. Those raised near the top of the income ladder now have a 70% chance of realizing the dream. Meanwhile, those close to the bottom, more in need of elevation, have a 35% chance of climbing above their parents' station. And it's not only progress and money that the fortunate monopolize. Rich American men, who tend to live longer than the average citizens of any other country, now live 15 years longer than poor American men, who endure only as long as men in Sudan and Pakistan. Thus, many millions of Americans on the left and right feel one thing in common, that the game is rigged against people like them. Perhaps this is why we hear constant condemnation of the system, for it is the system that people expect to turn fortuitous developments into societal progress. Instead, that system in America and around the world has been organized to siphon the gains from innovation upward such that the fortunes of the world's billionaires now grow at more than double the pace of everyone else's. And the top 10% of humanity have come to hold 90% of the planet's wealth. It's no wonder that the American voting public, like other publics around the world, has turned more resentful and suspicious in recent years, embracing populist movements on the left and the right, bringing socialism and nationalism into the center of political life in a way that once seemed unthinkable and succumbing to all manner of conspiracy theories and fake news. There is a spreading recognition on both sides of the ideological divide that the system is broken and has to change. Some elites faced with this kind of gathering anger have hidden behind walls and gates on landed estates, emerging only to try to seize even greater political power to protect themselves against the mob. But in recent years, a great many fortunate people have also tried something else, something both laughable and self-serving. They've tried to help by taking ownership of the problem. All around us, the winners in our highly inequitable status quo declare themselves partisans of change. They know the problem, and they want to be part of the solution. Actually, they want to lead the search for solutions. They believe that their solutions deserve to be at the forefront of social change. They may join or support movements initiated by ordinary people looking to fix aspects of our society, but more often these elites start initiatives of their own, taking on social change as though it were just another stock in their portfolio or another corporation to restructure. The book Winners Take All by Anand Giridharis. Thanks so much for your support for the Tom Hartman program. We deliver our program, of course, to commercial stations, which is how we pay our bills through the revenue from running advertising. And you can learn more about those at our website at TomHartman.com. But we also share our program with non-commercial outlets from Free Speech TV to Pacifica stations all over the country. And because with the Pacifica radio stations, there's basically no revenue coming in. The way that we support our nonprofit outreach is in large part through Patreon. People who support our program at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman get special little clips and there's a few other goodies 
If you want to support the Tom Hartman program, that's the way to do it, is to get over to patreon.com slash Tom Hartman and check out what we're doing and support our program. Thank you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. The new book by Ellen Ratner on the line with us is the author of Sideswiped, former Congressman Bob Ney. Bob, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I love what I do. <laughs> Me too. So what's up in the world today, Bob? Well, uh, looking at a few things here, of course, I know you've covered the whole Cohen situation. I found it a bit strange when I read through it. You know, the government is, is saying, well, you know, he did all these dastardly things, and then they're asking for four years, and that just doesn't seem like a lot. And in the back of my mind, uh, not that I'm trying to be Machiavellian on this, but I'm just wondering if maybe he has given them more information and Mueller doesn't want to show his hand as much, saying, well, I put him away for 10 or 12 years. I mean, after all, Blagojevich got 14 years, right? Very interesting. I just kind of wonder if there's some things we just don't know. I'm sure there are, Bob. Don't you think? Correct. We will know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Bob Ney, author of Sideswipe. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Great talking with you. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been a fascinating day. I'm sure it will be tomorrow, too, as we continue on through the most criminal administration in the history of the United States. You know, get your popcorn, get ready, because the show is really picking up. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're in. Pitch in, please. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.